You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. Well, hey there. Uh, my name is Max, and uh, I'm one of the student ministers here at Grace City, and pay no attention to what is happening on stage right for this quick moment. Thanks, Charles. Amazing. Hey, today it uh, <laughs> it really is my honour and privilege uh, to get to open God's Word with you today. Uh, so if you've got a Bible there, have it open uh, to Luke chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, um, or maybe you've never opened one before, then I wanted to make it really easy for you to follow along. There's a QR code on the screen. Uh, you can scan that and it'll take you directly to the exact passage that we're looking for. So you don't need to work out how to find there and, you know, it'd be a bit uncomfortable for you. You can, you can, you can join along. Um, so, so do follow that. Well, three short weeks ago, my wife, Kate, gave birth to our second daughter, Sadie. Here's a photo of me in the hospital uh, holding Sadie, chuffed, as you might expect. But when we found out that we were expecting our second child, I knew exactly what we needed. A double pram. If me and Kate were about to become parents of two, then the most important thing that we could do to prepare would be to buy the perfect double pram. Pram. You see, that double pram, it was going to be our greatest parenting need. So we did our research. If there was a pram on the market that could hold two kids, we looked at it, trust me. The Bugaboo, the Cybex, the Silver Cross, the Baby B, the Valco Baby, the Vista, I could go on. All these names, so close to my heart. And finding, finding the perfect double pram, this was our greatest need. And then one fateful afternoon, we found it. The Silver Cross Wave. With four puncture-proof wheels, 27 bassinet and seat configurations. And best of all, it was on sale. I love a good sale. And if we needed any more endorsement, this is the pram that Kate Middleton uses. Same brand, different pram. This pram, it carries princes and princesses. And so we had found it, our greatest need. Now, look, I know it sounds a little ridiculous, but I'm not so sure that life is all that different. So many priorities, so many products, so many ideas and concepts, all vying for that top spot in our life, all marketing us as the one thing we need. And so I think it's worth stopping and asking that question. What is our greatest need? If we want to flourish in life, if there's one thing that we need more than anything else, what is it? Because if there is one thing that we need more than anything else, that we need most of all, then I don't want to miss out on that. And I suspect neither do you. Well, that is our question for today. So if you are a note taker, and I encourage you to be one, write down that heading, what is our greatest need? Well, uh, we're in the middle of our series called The Preacher, working our way through the story of Jesus. And I believe that here 
in chapter 5 of Luke's gospel, we find an answer to that question. What is our greatest need? Has anyone heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Hmm, interesting. More people than I expected. I thought this was real niche. That's, that's good, though. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, and forgive me if I get it slightly wrong, but my understanding is that it's a psychological theory proposed by Abraham Maslow in the 1940s. And basically, it's a pyramid of needs with our most basic needs at the bottom and the most important thing that we're aiming for right at the top, the pinnacle, the ultimate thing. Now, according to Maslow, at the bottom sits things like food, rest, warmth, and water. Sort of basic physical needs. Makes sense. It's pretty hard to live life without those things. And at the top, well, what do you think might be right at the top of that hierarchy of needs? Our greatest need, you might say. Well, According to Maslow, our greatest need, he would say, is self-actualization. For us to achieve our full potential. According to Maslow, that is your greatest need. Well, today, if I may, uh, I'd like to suggest that inside each of us is our own little pyramid of needs, our own little hierarchy of needs, things that we all think we need to enjoy life to thrive in life. And at the top of that pyramid, inside each of us, we have something that we think we need, something that we think we need the most. And so as we think about our greatest need, let's first consider what we think we need. What sits in that top spot on the pyramid of needs? What is it that you think you need most? Well, in today's passage, we meet a paralyzed man. We met him just before in the reading. And in the verses just prior, at the start of that reading, we're given a little bit of context. In verse 15, we read that the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. No doubt the paralyzed man in our story is one of these people who had heard about Jesus and who came to hear him and to be healed. Take a look from verse 18. It says, Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. This man was paralyzed, unable to to walk. They didn't have wheelchairs. And so this man was completely reliant on people like his friends to carry him if he wanted to go anywhere. And so as they bring him to Jesus, they bring him looking for healing. Surely what this man needs most is obvious. He can't walk. And so what he thinks he needs is healing. Healing to walk, and with it, the restoration of his independence and ability to work again, to look after himself, to provide for his family, to contribute to society. It totally makes sense. This man comes to Jesus, and what he thinks he needs most is healing. Take a look at verse 19. We read, When they could not find a way, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle 
of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. They're not lowering him through that roof, expecting to have to hoist him back up again at the end of the session, through the tiles, back up again, still paralyzed and unable to walk. No. They're hoping for healing for their friend and expecting that he might just walk out of that room. If he was filling in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right at the top, I bet he would have written healing. So what about you? What's at the top of your pyramid of needs? Perhaps it's financial. I'd understand that. I'll be honest with you. The middle of last year uh, with Kate on maternity leave and me uh, studying full time, making ends meet was really hard. It was really hard. There were a few weeks there when I really deeply remember asking myself how we were going to get through this. So I totally understand that. If you'd asked me back then what my greatest need was, I probably would have said to pay our rent. That would have been the top spot for us. So maybe it's financial. Or maybe for you, it's a job, career, the big break, the job that finally satisfies. Or perhaps a relationship. The perfect boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, the perfect marriage, That's what you need, maybe. Someone to look after you and to care for you. Or maybe you're just like the paralyzed man in our passage and you are legitimately sick. And you're hoping and praying for healing. What is it that you think you need most? You see, just like that man, we all have something that we think we need. But is that always what we actually need? See, what we think we need and what we actually need, these two things don't always line up. Now, at the start, I told you about my quest to find the perfect double pram. At the time, it seemed like that was exactly what we needed. That would be the thing, that's what we thought we needed that would make parenting two kids a breeze. The puncture-proof wheels the 27 combinations. But in reality, it's actually quite heavy. (laughs) Takes up our whole boot. In fact, it's really hard to get it anywhere. It's a lovely pram. But what we thought we needed is not quite what we actually needed. We might know what we think we need, having thought about that for a few moments, but what do we actually need? Well, having lowered their friend through the roof, through those tiles, into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus, in verse 20, we read that when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your paralysis is healed. Well, that's what we might expect to happen. But that's not what happens. Jesus doesn't heal the man. At least at first he doesn't. No, take a look at verse 20. This time for real. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. You see, it might look like healing is what he needs. That might even be what the world was telling him he needed. But Jesus knows something that the man doesn't know. Our paralyzed friend has a much bigger problem than his physical condition. 
Jesus is saying to him, friend, that's not what you need. What you need most is not healing. It's forgiveness. Now, Jesus is going to heal the man, and we'll get to that a little later. But by forgiving him first, Jesus shows us what is most important. Our greatest problem is never physical. Our greatest problem is sin. Now, when the Bible talks about sin, it's not just talking about the bad things we do. It's talking about the posture of our life. The way we ignore God almost habitually and say, I can do this on my own. I know what I'm doing here. I've got this, God. Christian or not, we all reject God. And that rejection, our sin, it puts an insurmountable wall between you and the giver of life. And so if our greatest problem is sin then our greatest need is forgiveness. Our sins forgiven. More than financial freedom, more than a satisfying job or the perfect marriage, right at the top of our hierarchy of needs, Jesus tells us that our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven. That is what we actually need. That paralyzed man, he comes to Jesus looking for what he thinks he needs. But Jesus sees past that and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. And so I thank God that when I'm distracted by the double prams of life, the things that I think I need, Jesus sees what we actually need. More than anything else, we need our sins to be forgiven. Well, if that's what what we need, how can we receive it? How can we receive that? How can we receive God's forgiveness? Take a look at verse 21 and notice that if we want to have our sins forgiven, we must come to Jesus. Take a look. It says, Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your, in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, for us, the reality is that We can't say either of those things with any level of effectiveness. Not really. But Jesus continues in verse 24. He says, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them. It's a miracle. For us... Both of those things are impossible. But for Jesus, he uses the one to prove the other. By healing the man, Jesus proves that what might have seemed like empty words, your sins are forgiven, was imbued with real, tangible, effective power. 
when this paralyzed man gets up and walks, we see, just like it says in verse 24, that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, does indeed have authority on earth to forgive sins. And so if our greatest need is for our sins to be forgiven, then the way we receive that is through Jesus. Jesus can forgive our sins. No other religious system or life philosophy can put you right with God. Not even correct religious practice, coming to church every Sunday. These things might be good. They can't put you right with God. Only Jesus can do that because the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So if we want to have our sins forgiven, we must come to Jesus. If our greatest problem is sin and our greatest need is for those sins to be forgiven, then come to the one who can forgive you. All of your past, all of your mistakes, your secret shame and long-harbored guilt, Jesus can deal with those things. Come to him and he'll say to you, friend, your sins are forgiven. And so when we come to Jesus, we come through faith. Notice in verse 20, take a look. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, friend, your sins are forgiven. And so it's not through anything else but faith in Jesus that we can have our sins forgiven. And so what, what of this faith? What kind of faith is in picture here that Jesus commends? Take a look at verse 19 and notice with me that real faith perseveres. It says this, When they could not find a way to do this, to get their friend to Jesus, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. You see, in the face of obstacle, their faith perseveres. It keeps on going. They could have seen the crowd and thought, it's too hard. It wasn't meant to be. It was a nice idea, but it wasn't meant to be. But that's not what happens. They find a way. Their faith, it perseveres. Real faith, it doesn't give up when life gets tough. It perseveres and it goes the distance through the ups and the downs. Next, notice with me that real faith demands action. In verse 20, it says that Jesus saw their faith. The faith of this man and his friends, their faith, it was visible. It was something that could be seen. Faith isn't purely an intellectual belief in God or an acceptance that Jesus is real. No. Real faith should always move us to do what is right to listen to God, and then to actually do it. So real faith, it perseveres, it demands action, it's visible, and it leads us to praise. Take a look at verse 25. After being healed by Jesus, we read, Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. Why? Because this is good news. This is the good stuff. To have your sins forgiven, to be made right again with the God who created you, 
with the God who loves you, who has a plan for your life, that's good news. Sin separates us from God, but faith in Jesus brings us back. And that's worth praising God about. So what is our greatest need? More than anything else, we need our sins to be forgiven. And when we come to Jesus through faith, Jesus says to you, friend, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, there are so many things in life that we think we need, that we might think are most important. But our greatest problem is our sin. And our greatest need is to be forgiven. Thank you, God, that when we come to Jesus through faith, we can have our sins forgiven. So forgive our sins, we ask. In Jesus' name, through faith. Amen.